This passage of scripture from Colossians' first chapter has an amazing depth and quality to it. You'll be glad to know we started early today with the message because there's so much to say. Hear what God says to us when we read Paul's words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, every person, and teaching every person with all wisdom, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. I remember as a young boy growing up, I sometimes regularly heard words that I knew their meaning. They were not always as refreshing as a drink of Mountain Valley spring water. (laughs) They were words that would often come from my father or my mother when they would say, what are you doing? That usually meant that whatever I was doing, I needed to stop it. Or at least in the best of instances, they couldn't understand what I was doing, when I was doing it, and why was I doing it in the second place. So when I heard those words, it usually got my attention. What are you doing? 
What are we doing? What are we doing? For now, because of your calling to service to Christ in this church and my calling to being a United Methodist gospel who loves passages that really affirm our theology like this one, we find ourselves together. We must ask ourselves the questions, what are we doing? But for me, being the newcomer amongst you, before I can really ask God the question, what are we doing, I have begun asking the question, what have y'all been doing? What have y'all been doing and for what purposes are you doing the things you've been doing? And what does that mean to our future? I know that I'll stop saying that question before much longer, but it'll still be a while. Because what you are doing and have been doing in the past needs to be understood by me before I can clearly hear God's word to share with the staff and then with the congregation about where God might be calling us forward as this part of the body of Christ. I don't pretend to understand all the nuances of your congregation at this point. I was reminded of that uh, Saturday morning when I attended my orientation for our school. You notice I said our school, right? For our school. And when I went into the school to be, you might say, inducted, prayed for, and then taught what it means to be on the board of Carrollton Christian Academy, I began to feel the extra weight of responsibility that comes with being on that board. I already felt that weight somewhat as pastor of the congregation, but I feel it more so as a board representative. But I also feel it as a Christian who's going to be worshiping in this building, as I hope you do as well. For what we are doing is always important. And we are going to be doing many, many things. Not the least of which, of course, is ministry through our school. But before we get there, let's take off into this passage. You know, I, I really could stay here a lot longer than you could sit and listen. But when you start reading passages like this, they just jump out at you. The things that are there that we believe and we oftentimes don't think about. This hymn of praise that is found in verses 15 through 20, scholars are just particularly in love with. And it is a beautiful set of words. Some of them I'm just going to pick out. They're just so clear that he was the form of unseen God. If you were to try and explain to your children what God looked like, do you ever think about how bereft of words you would be if it had not been for the life of Jesus? What would you have to say? You'd be trying to explain someone that they could not see, someone that they could not create in their own minds, unless you could create a picture with words of the life of this person that we call God. It's very difficult to speak to someone about God who's never seen God, nor have they even heard about what it is that this God does or who this God is. Mission teams confront that all the time. When they go into cultures that have not been saturated, at least with a, a beginning rudimentary understanding of what it means to be a follower of God. But to all of us, God is unseen except as we observe by reading about and hearing others tell about the concrete things that the man named Jesus did when he walked in a particular culture, in a particular place in time, for the benefit of all cultures forevermore. He is the unseen God. 
People say, well, I can't see God. Well, no, you can't really see God, but then again, you really can. You can construct this man who walked this earth, and you can so understand his life and his actions that you would see what God would be like if God were human and walked among us. You can see God because the fullness of God dwells in the man, Jesus. Now, that is a much more powerful statement than we can say about anyone else or about anything else in all this creation. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus perfectly. Wow. Now, that's the way to begin a song. And then you can certainly not count the reasons why you would begin to praise such a God. He is creator and sustainer and redeemer. He created the heavens and the earth. And, and this sometimes gets doubted. In fact, it gets, quite frankly, not believed. But it is still true that he is the creator of all powers on this earth. And he is Lord of all powers on the earth. Both those who submit themselves willingly and those who do not. Our Lord is the sustainer and the one who holds all things together. It's not gravity, by the way. Except in the sense that God created it. It's also not Buddha, by the way. It's also not many other expressions of believing in a God that is not fully God, but it is in the expression of following fully the faith of the man Jesus Christ and the kind of belief and trust that he had in God that we find the fullness of the Godhead that we want to worship. Holds all things together. We say, well, you know, all things is such a big statement. Well, let me just tell you this. If you're so fortunate as to be alive when the Christ who cannot return does return, you're going to see quite a show. You're going to see things going on in the heavens and the earth that will make clearly to every person who's still walking the face of this earth that when we say Jesus was in the Lord of all things, we meant all things. And when the creation of the new heaven and earth occurs right in front of your eyes, and if you're still alive and breathing at that time, you're going to be a part of it. Oh, yeah, there's that other thing too, right? Green Mountain, Green Valley, Mountain Valley, let's get that right. Mountain Valley spring water in the green bottle does refresh your soul, but nothing like. Yes, it is going to cost him every time I mention it. (laughs) But the reality is when Jesus returns, not only will the mouths of believers fall open in disbelief, and they will, but the unbelieving world will tremble in his presence and the earth will shake and incredible things will happen that quite frankly we doubt will happen and all of those scholars who thought the words of the scripture were not really true for the most part will change their minds and by the way if we've already died we'll get to watch that from the other side when Jesus returns we'll be with him now I really like that part just like I really like movies when the good guys win well i like this last show it's going to be the last moving picture on earth when me and jesus and the rest of the saints come and we take names and we do other things that we don't say in worship (laughs) we get their attention all of those unbelievers all of those who fought against the kingdom of god that existed all those who tried to crush the light life and light out of young believers All those who walked on the church with disgust, all those who proclaimed their hatred for God and things of God, 
we were brought into the full knowledge that they made a huge, huge mistake. Not only is he the sustainer, but he is my redeemer. And he's yours too. And not only is he the redeemer of this one who was alienated from him at different times and still at times struggle to do all the things I should do, he reconciled me to that creator who sent Jesus for me. He saved me from myself. That's why it's so easy when we get our minds right and when we fill them with correct knowledge about who Jesus is to want to follow him. That's why it's so easy for us to behave like believers. And we make it easy for you in the United Methodist Church where we ask you when you join and become a Christian, will you support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? We make it so easy for you to put it in concrete terms. When the collection plate passes you by, fill it up to the ability you're able. Literally. When you walk by the giving kiosk and you say, oh, you know, I didn't remember to bring my gifts to put in the offering plate. Don't worry. Pull out your plastic and stop by the machine. God will get a blessing through that as well. And if you forgot and you spent your tithe before you arrived, then come to this chancel rail and pray and God will forgive you and give you another chance next week. <laughs> For you see... To realize who God really is in Jesus Christ is to realize that God not only created everything, but everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God in Christ. The air you breathe, the blood that pumps through your body, it's not your own. It was bought with a price. I stayed too long on this short sermon at the first verse. He presents believers to the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. I sort of wish you could really see how dark is my soul, but I'm kind of glad you can't because most of you are saying such nice things about me now that I'm new, and it's really fun to be bragged on about and welcomed and to be told how much people appreciate you. You cannot see the depth of my sin, and I'm really, quite frankly, glad about that. And I'm quite glad, frankly, that I can't see all yours either. Yeah, it would probably overwhelm me as I would you. But the great thing to know is this, that when you are a believer, in the moment that you believe, as long as you continue to believe, Jesus takes you into the presence of the Father and he says, See, Doug, holy, unblemished spotless. Trust me, I know there's only one way that can happen, and that is if Jesus died for my sins. And if when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus, then and only then can I be unblemished and completely blameless. What a wonderful thought, and what a wonderful experience to look forward to when we get tired of breathing this earthly air. That's all possible for one reason, because he died for my sins. His blood shed on the cross. Then there's that little ugly word. I don't know why they have to do this in Scripture, but they do fairly regularly. There's that if word. Holy and blameless if 
Paul says, and this is good United Methodist doctrine, for if you've not been raised in the United Methodist Church, or if your pastors have not preached all of the United Methodist theology the way they should have, you know, obviously they wouldn't have been listening to me because I have perfect theology. <laughs> if, the Scripture says, all those things are true, if you continue, present tense, continuous action, Greek verb, in faith, firmly established and steadfast, in other words, clinging to the hope of the gospel that through faith we are saved by grace. You need to believe that every morning. If the last time you really believed that fully was the time when you were baptized, you need to believe it again today. They're reminding the youth of that while they're on the retreat today, this weekend, tomorrow, that faith is an ongoing process in our, in our belief and our understanding of the Scriptures. Doing something one time in the past is where we start our faith, but it's certainly not where we end our faith. Faith is a continuous thing that grows within us, or it is a dying thing if it is not nurtured and watered and if it's not stretching and growing. Now let's get to the second part of this passage of Scripture. This is a part that has directly to do with us as well. Paul says he had been entrusted with the gospel of which he was a minister. He had been sent to them and he was willing to suffer for their sakes for the body of Christ, for the church. The body of Christ is the church. It is the church, not Carrollton Church only, not only Prestonwood Baptist Church, not only the Roman Catholic Church, not only the Disciples of Christ Church, but it is the body of Christ that it contains all of those universally who are believing in Jesus for their salvation. That is a church universal of which, into which we are baptized, we believe, as United Methodists. It is when we are a part of that church, and that group is a part of the church that Paul was sent to, to say, I'm here to suffer for your sake, called as a minister of the gospel, to minister to the church for your benefit, so that every person might be presented complete in Christ, a mature believer, follower of Christ, if you will. Now, if you wonder exactly what that means, to be a mature believer in Christ, I have good news for you. You are sitting in worship with lots of other believers. And right now, you're going to turn to one on your right, and if you Don't get a good enough answer from the person on your right, then turn to the person on your left and let them tell you what a mature believer or follower in Christ looks like in less than 30 seconds, starting now. Everybody. Together now, one, two, three, turn. What does a mature follower in Christ look like? I always wanted to be a mature follower in Christ who got to play in music in the church. So there, I had my beat on the drum. It's really hard for me to let you talk, by the way. I don't like that part. But when God tells me to do it, I just like to do it. Because you see, 
if I were to ask you to stand up right now and testify what a mature believer slash follower in Christ looked like, your answer would be as complete only to the extent that your wisdom and knowledge has matured. Only to the extent that the actions of your life have been able to reflect this wisdom that you've taken into your body. And only to the extent that your commitment, your commitment to not only hear the word and understand the word, but to follow the word, would have been real in producing the fruit that God has intended to produce in your life. You say, now, where is that in those verses? Well, it's not exactly in those verses, but you'll be glad to know that wisdom is mentioned in verse 5 of the first chapter of Colossians when Paul is talking to them. And he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. All throughout the scriptures, this understanding with knowledge who God is and what the gospel is is important. All in the scriptures, when we understand and have knowledge of the scripture, if we're not taking actions on what we know, then what we know is usually pretty worthless. And finally... If we are a mature person in Christ and we've been taking in the knowledge of the word and we've been practicing it in our lives, we will be fruitful. Both inwardly and in our witness to the world. It gets kind of quiet about that point, doesn't it? Okay, it's so much easier to quote the verse. It's so much easier to memorize it or to affirm how truthful it is. Living it is hard, and it's so much easier to know it and to live it than it is to see if we really are living it by examining how fruitful we have been. Fruitfulness is a mark of maturity in its most complete sense. Remember, it's twofold, inward and outward. You need to remember that because it's a kind of a, it's a pressure point in our faith. Now, I'm going to go back to what I began in the service about what are we doing, we being the church. Well, right now, really, we're just getting acquainted. And I appreciate all the kind things you said, but you really don't know me all that well yet. Uh. I know it's been fun lately, and I like church to be fun, and we'll do our best to keep a light spirit about all this stuff because you know what? If we don't keep a light heart about dealing with the truth of the spirit, we can get bogged down. Well, this is a tough book. If you don't know it's a tough book, you haven't read very much of it or you haven't listened very closely. It's a tough book. Now, having said that, I've had to ask myself, what have you been doing? And that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing and praying about. Asking God, what have you been doing? Who have you been as a church? I've learned some things already. I know that you love to worship. And you worship with a truthfulness that is admirable. 
You worship with an enthusiasm and an obvious love and commitment to the Lord that, quite frankly, is, is very refreshing for someone who comes in and experiences your worship together. I know that you believe in world missions. And your maturity is seen in the fact that you're not so self-absorbed that all you worry about is Carrollton or your home or this church. You are reaching out around the world to tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your money is where your mouth is. You spend money as a congregation to support an incredible amount of missions for a congregation your size. My spiritual hat is off to you. You are an example for other believers to see. I know that you believe in gaining scriptural knowledge, not only for yourselves, but for children and youth. I see that in your VBS. I see that in your Sunday school programs. I see that in your youth program. I see that in the school that you chose to build long ago, that you wanted your children's education to be touched with the truth of the gospel daily and continually. I believe that the God did that through you for a specific purpose and for specific reasons. And I don't believe those specific reasons or purposes have ceased to exist, nor will they in the near future, as best I can tell. I see that you, as the body of Christ, are striving to teach and support each other in what you do. I see it when you pray for each other at the chancel rail. I see it as you interact and hug and love each other in the halls of the church. I see that when we ask for those to come down who are going away on a mission trip, that you come down two and three times the number of people who are going to stand with them in support of the ministry that Christ has called them to. And through your support, things happen. I see it in the production of inward spiritual fruit as I've visited with many of you. I am... Properly, I think, and appropriately impressed by the number of sincere, loving, serious biblical Christians in this congregation. So now my question is, what am I doing here, Lord? They've come all this way. What am I here to add to this party? Because this party has accomplished a lot. This part of the body of Christ is impressive in many ways. And so I'm asking God, what is my part? I know that my, what my part is before I came. I just don't know the details of it yet. My part, like Paul's part for that church or for any church or a group of body of believers, is to help you continue to mature in your faith. Bad news is you never quit maturing in your faith. Never. Never. Did I say never? Never. You never quit maturing in your faith. I don't care how many times you've read the scriptures. I don't care how many sermons you've heard. I don't care how many preachers you've prayed for. You probably need to pray harder. We're a rowdy group. You can never get through maturing completely in this life. You say, now, wait a minute, preacher. Didn't John Wesley say you could be entirely sanctified? Yes, he did. But there's so few people he said that reached it. I don't need to be worried about them. I'm worried about the rest of us. You never get through growing. If you do, you've begun to decay. And growth spiritually is never equated to chronological age. Sometimes I meet teenagers who blow me away with their spiritual material, maturity. 
And sometimes I meet persons who are at the retirement age. You know what that age is? A little older than I will ever be. <laughs> you know the people we call old people. I don't want, I'm not going to be one of those old people, right? You're not either, right? You say, everybody that said right is over the age of 50. <laughs> the rest of you just don't know yet that you're coming to that day. You're coming to it, I promise you. Unless you leave here early, you're getting there. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser. I wished it did because I'd have 60 years under my belt of being faithful to the Lord in all things. Okay, maybe a little more than 60, but, you know. My wife keeps up with the details. She'll remind me of that later. Speaking of details, this is Mountain Valley Spring Water. That's three times, I believe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit blessed three times. Hmm. Triple blessing is very expensive. I'm clear about one thing. I was called here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And you say, yeah, we heard the bishop called you. Well, yes, the bishop called me, but it was God's voice that really called me. Just the bishop's telephone. And when he first called me, I'll admit, I said, Mr., you got the wrong number? <laughs> Actually, I didn't say anything. I was so surprised I was speechless. And if you don't think that's a miracle, you, you don't know me very well. <laughs> I was speechless. But within 10 days, I was given kindly. After seven days, I agreed. After 10 days, I thought it was true. After two weeks, Three weeks or so, I was convinced. Now that I've been among you for a while, I'm certain that there are things that need to be done in the maturation of this congregation and in the ministries that we share in that God can use me in. And I'm thankful for that. I would hate to be useless while I'm here. We will continue the work of inward sanctification. We will continue to assist your growth in faith, and maturity. We're going to talk about things mature Christians do. We're, we're going to talk about how your money is not really your money. And I'm not going to hesitate to ask you for it. I'm just telling you. Let's be clear. I already know you're mature. So if you're mature in Christ, you have to be mature. And that every good and gracious gift you have comes from above. If you're mature, you have to be willing to invest it in the work of the kingdom. If you're mature, you need to not only give your tithe, you need to exceed beyond the 10% limit or a standard as the scripture is established. And you need to give out the great joy that you have in your heart for the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God. And you think I'm going to deny you that privilege? I'm not. Because we have some financial issues. I'm not afraid of financial issues. You shouldn't be either. We have enough money to accomplish what we need to do. All we have to do is get it out of our pockets, right? That's the old joke. But I would say it's easier than that. I would say all you have to do is remember to whom you belong and to who you need to respond to for everything you have. 
I'm going to assist you in uniting this church as the body of Christ. Here at Carrollton, First United Methodist Church. That includes every ministry that God calls us to do. I'm clear that God has called us to have a school and a worshiping body of people gathered here regularly on this campus. I'm convinced of it. We need to support mutually both of those ministries. I can't wait to get a chance to speak to the people at Carrollton Christian Academy because I understand that about 94 or 5% of those folks don't go to church over here. Wow, that's like another whole congregation of people waiting to give to the ministries of this church. (laughs) Gifts and talents multiplied in this body of the church. I'm convinced that God has called this church to a unique kind of fruitfulness that we have not experienced in this congregation for the last 10 to 12 years, with the exception of one period of about 12 to 18 months. You will say, what, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that when people believe as you believe and worship as you worship, we should not be having the same number of people involved in this congregation unless there are specific and physical reasons like a mass disease that killed off a half of us regularly. Otherwise, we should be producing fruit in the lives of other people who do not yet believe or recognize the need for the church. In Carrollton, Texas, I promise you, there are probably 60% of the people who do not attend church. They don't ever go to church except once a year to go to Prestonwood to hear the music at Christmas. They don't go to church any other time. I know they're signing cards. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, that's a big joke. They're not regularly worshiping and giving in church. All you have to do is get out and drive around your neighborhood while you're going to church. Look at all the people who aren't. They're at home. They're barely believers if believers at all. That is our mission field here. It's good to help save the people in Cambodia and in Germany and Nicaragua and everywhere else around the world. That's a wonderful thing. We're not slowing down one step in that area. But I'm here to tell you, we're going to increase what happens in Carrollton, Texas, in the First United Methodist Church of Carrollton. We're going to learn to witness. We're going to learn to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ in such a way that they can hear it. Not necessarily the way we enjoy telling it, but the way they need to hear it so that they can have the chance to respond. I know I can help you with that. There are so many things I know I can't do, but that's one thing I know I can help you do if you're willing to go down that road. If you're not willing to go down that road, there's not a thing I can do to help you. If you're content to stay as you are, And that's the way it is. But if you're the mature Christians, I believe you are. I don't believe you're content to stay where you are. 
So I'm going to end with an illustration. You wonder if we were going to get out before 12 ever. We are today. Unless, well, I don't know how long David's going to sing. But here's the thing. There's a story in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 42, that gives us just a clear-cut little illustration about being mature. Jerry went to the home of Mary and Martha to eat. You remember the story? If you do, say yes. Did I miss anybody that doesn't know that story of Mary and Martha? This is a Bible-believing church. I assume you know that one, right? You know, the woman who's always doing things and getting everything ready, the busybody who's doing all the work. The kind you've got to have in a church, by the way. If you don't have a lot of Marthas, you're in trouble. And then there were the Marys. Mary wasn't doing anything to help fix Jesus' meal. She wasn't doing anything to be hospital or any of the duties of the home. She was just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him, right? You don't necessarily have to get out early. I mean... And then Martha said, in the best whiny voice she could find, Master, don't you care that I'm slaving over this stove and trying to make you comfortable and Mary just sitting over there doing nothing? And Jesus looked at her. I'm sure with eyes that possibly were even filled with tears. I don't know. But very gently and very lovingly he said, Martha, you're busy doing so many things. You're distracted. Mary has chosen the best part. Now, by that, I don't mean that Jesus has only called us to sit down in a circle and wait for Jesus to show up or to spend all our time in Bible study. What I mean is Jesus has called us to focus on the things that matter the most in the kingdom of God and not to focus on the things that don't. He's called us to focus on the things that are of the most importance more so than we do on the things that are of lesser importance. We need Mary's and we need Martha's in the kingdom of God and we need to both and all of us be able to be Mary and Martha as well. We need to learn how to be focused. That's a good illustration from biblical times. Here's one from today. Y'all are trying to work me pretty hard, by the way. I just want you to know that. I don't usually get to preach this long, but it sure is fun. (laughs) If I mess up here and have to leave early, it's going to really be hard on the next congregation when I tell them, well, I'm used to having 30 or 40 or 45 minutes, however long I want to preach, though I don't know really how to preach that long. Uh, They'll look at me and say, well, you're not going to learn how to preach that long here either. You know, so let me just say this. I really want to go to the youth services tonight. I really do. Because I love being with the youth. They make me feel younger, and that's important as you get to be my age. Here's the thing, though. And one of the young men sitting down on, in the floor of the hall right before they left told me, I really should come Sunday night. And boy, it's just like sticking a knife in my heart. Now, I can no longer sit like he sits on the floor with my legs crossed under me. I just can't do that. If I do, I won't ever get up. <laughs> and he was so sincere. And I've already seen a lot of that in the youth. But I had to ask myself, if I go there tonight and they stay up as late as I know they will, what time will I get home? Where do I have to be tomorrow where my ministry will be affected, where I know God has already called me to be? And oh yeah, didn't I already send Jonathan? 
Didn't I already send Ariel? Didn't I already send Allison? Didn't I already send Rebecca? Didn't I even send J.D.? And the answer to all that would be yes, right? I really want to go. But where I need to do this afternoon is I need to rest. Because I've got a lot to do next week. I really need to be at the hospital in the morning. And before that, I really need to be with my daughter and my son-in-law who have invited me to dinner. Something we used to do all the time on Sunday afternoons as my daughter was fulfilling her calling. It was our ministry to our grandson and to my son-in-law. I thought about it. I prayed about it. I talked to the Lord about it. And I'm going to do what I should do this afternoon. I'm going to focus on being rested for other things I need to do this week instead of giving in to what would be so much fun. Because it would. It would be a blast. Make sure it goes well. You're only completely on the spot. (laughs) When you're deciding what you're going to do with your time and energy, you're like me. You have to love your family. You have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have to love the people next door too. We have to make room in our lives and in our worship and in our prayer and in our dinner times and in our visiting in the alleys so we have the best of ourselves to give to those who need the most of us so that they can see the graceful God that lives in heaven that we all worship and love instead of the judgmental character of a God that is presented so often to unbelievers in the media. They need to see the Word made flesh in you and me. Gracious God, we pray that others might see Christ in us. We pray if there's someone here this morning that though they're in the midst of this body of believers that have never really given themselves completely to you, if they have not accepted your love as their salvation, that they might do so this morning when we sing our closing hymn. We pray, Lord, this morning that as we're here to worship, if there's someone here who does love you but is trying to live life on their own without the benefit of the body of Christ, without Christian community, that they might recognize this as a place where they can make a spiritual home. And Lord, I pray for this body of believers that you have assigned me to come to, to share in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it won't be them and it won't be the staff and it won't be the school, but rather it will be us together who are the body of Christ in this place in the years to come discerning together how you're calling us to live and to worship and to plan and to serve in your name Lord I don't know if they can do that where they're sitting in their seat or if they need to come down to this chancel rail and just kneel and ask you to help them focus Help us all, Lord, to focus on your calling. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.